If you can see the title of the message this morning, um, we're going to help you with your ABCs. We're getting to know some of you, and we feel like it might be a little difficult. Uh, the ABCs this morning, so all of our English teachers, we're going to help you out this morning a little bit with the ABCs. But it is good to be here this morning, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, that God will just lift up his message up this morning, and you not see the messenger, but you really focus on the message that God has granted us to be able to hear together through his word. So let's pray together if we can. Father God, we count it a privilege, Lord, anytime we can assemble ourselves together. I know all over the world, Lord, they may be gathered in twos and fives and twenties and hundreds. And Lord, I know there's places where even thousands are gathered this morning, Lord, to lift up your name, to sing as the praise team has led us and allowed us to sing along with them this morning, encouraged us to sing, Lord, not because we have great voices, Lord, but because we want to sing for you. Uh, Lord, we want to we want to thrill the very the very throne of heaven, Lord, this morning with our voices, Lord, and making a joyful noise. Not only that, Lord, but we're praising you through song. Lord, I pray we lift you up through your word this morning, that I not be seen, Lord, but your word be seen this morning, Lord. Not only that, but you would take your word and you would you would just uh, stir our hearts this morning, oh God. You would you would just uh, bring something out, and Lord, I know we've heard thousands of times, but Lord, sometimes just knowing the truth doesn't necessarily mean we always do the truth. And Lord, sometimes we, especially as pastors, as leaders, as servants, Lord, need to be reminded of these things. And, and I, I pray, Lord, as we leave this place today, Lord, that, um, that Lord, we leave challenged. If nothing else, Lord, we leave challenged. And I know there's some here this morning in a group this big that have never prayed to receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray even as uh, you spoke to my heart many, many years ago, Lord, that I was so miserable. Uh, Lord, I tried to, to look away from it, Lord, but I was so miserable until, Lord, I committed my life to you. Lord, not just added you as a part of my life, which always seems good that Christ is a part of my life, but Lord, Christ is my life. And I thank you that you reminded me that not only do we come to to ask you to be a part, Lord, but I pray those that have never surrendered their lives, Lord, that would totally surrender uh, unconditionally to you today, Lord, to start on a wonderful journey, Lord, that to have some highs and some lows, and Lord, have some great times of joy, and Lord, inevitably as humans and living in this world, a sin-cursed world that we do, Lord, some tragedies, some crises, Lord, all those things, Lord, but Father, we can also during that time, realize that we don't have to walk it alone. We can look around us and we have other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we call family, which is literally join family. But at the same time, Lord, we have the promise of heaven, Lord, which surpasses anything that we could ever comprehend in this life. So, Lord, I pray you speak to me, speak through me this morning, and stir all of our hearts. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read this story, I guess it's been two or three times. Uh, many years ago, I read this story, but this morning, uh, I had just recalled this, uh, I guess it was yesterday, day before yesterday, one of the most famous ABC News radio. How many still listens to radio? How many doesn't know what a radio is, except those things on your car that you slide a CD in? Of course, that's outdated. Now you hook up and you play it Wi-Fi through your phone or anything like that. But there used to be a radio. 
you know, where it's the main central theme of the house was a radio. I remember my grandmother listening to a radio. It was a big box, brown box that she set on there. And uh, just to be honest, some of you may remember this. Most probably will not. But everything came to a close about 10.30 in the morning because at 10.30 in the morning, the local radio station read the obituaries. Now, you think that's a blessing, isn't it? How many remembers that? Three. Okay, that's great. That's great. That's a long time ago they had that box. And, and you know, on Saturday night, I know you... You don't uh, tell this on Sundays, but on Saturday nights, you might have listened to the Grand Ole Opry or something. No, it was this century. <laughs> it really was. But there was a great, great uh, orator that was on the radio back then, and he was a great uh, ABC News broadcaster, and he made a living in reading the news of bygone times from, from the early 50s up until, I guess, about 2008 when he when he ceased to do that, but great, he had a great voice for radio. They tell me, and I'm learning this, I have a great face for radio. So wonderful face for radio. I don't know if that was a compliment when somebody said that or not, but, um, you know, I, 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 whatever on that. But anyway, he had a great voice for radio. It actually started out when he was in school in Tulsa. He would read commercials. Now, we, read, we know what commercials is, don't we? We're fast getting away from that because we zoom right through those. But their commercials, remember they used to have them on radio, and he had a great voice for that, and he had a great voice for the news. And from the beginning, he shared things that might have uh, knowledge of, uh, especially of the primary uh, investigative news of the day, and he would read it with all seriousness, and people walking by hearing the radio or having that thing tuned in, it would often catch their ear. And his in, this impassioned newscaster also had a way of bringing depth and intrigue into the news or even simply the stories of interest. Paul Arant had the voice and ability for his craft that lifted him from the son of a slain police officer in the early 1920s to befriend people in high places, great uh, politicians and even, uh, what was it, Humphrey and and uh, the FBI, he became really good friends in those high places and and then he began this other, because of his voice, someone said, well, this will be good, the way you read the news, and, and you have these stories of interest that you read on your own. So back on May 10th, which is coming up here in 1976, he began a broadcast that that's name has become a catchphrase, and though you might not know Paul Arant, uh, but you might know this story because he kind of caught that catchphrase, and the rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story is Paul Harvey Arant used to read those things. And, and when he started out with a story of intrigue, he would read it. And then they would usually read a commercial. He would fade right into it. And that brought the audience along. And then he would say what? And now for the rest of the story. Now, some people, they say, uh, left him at the first part and never got to hear. I don't know how you would do that. You would leave it because the rest of the story was also intriguing, and it had great elements to help you to understand the first part of the story. In other words, to sew it all together, he would say, and now the rest of the story. And he would do that, and he continued the rest of the story, that, that flagship program up into I guess 2009, I think it was, that I read somewhere, that he ceased to do that. But I'm sure we've probably heard the phrase and the rest of the story. 
Now, as we look at Scripture, as you're beginning to finger through the pages of Matthew, go all the way to the back, Matthew 28. If you get to Mark, turn, make a left-hand turn. Come right back to Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. Now, how many knows what that is? The, the what? The Great Commission. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? That, that sounds some, like something that would very much be important for us as the church to really get a grasp on, but I'm afraid that myself included, sometimes we don't really get the point. And in other words, we might get the first part of it, but we really ignore the rest of the story. We don't seem to gather the whole story, which would give it full understanding, and especially the who was the author? Who was the author of the Great Commission? Well, yeah, we, we say Matthew wrote it down, but where? Hey, those of you that remember the letters in red, what does that mean? Well, see, my thing is whether it's in red or pink or purple, it's all God's word to me. But nevertheless, in some, in some translations, it's got those words in red, making the author an understanding of the author to be Jesus himself, and that's what he did. So let's, let's look at this and let's pay close attention. I'm going to throw it up to verse 18. Because it says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, listen, all authority, did you get, did I get you? That's my radio voice. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Boy, that sounds resounding, doesn't it? So he's basically saying nothing should interfere. Because if I've got all authority, you're in me, then you have all authority. In other words, you have the power to carry out what I'm going to ask you to do. You have all the power to do that. And not only that, he's not going to say, okay, I've trained you and taught you. But he's basically saying this authority is going to come along with you. And if this authority comes along with you, guess who's tagging along? Or actually, who's leading? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you right here in just a minute. Look at it. He says, as a result of this, go therefore. Now, really the understanding, and another thing, if you want to understand the, the grammatical text of this, ask Pastor Michael Borden. He'll tell you. Uh, he's taken the Greek. He's very fluid in it. And he'll tell you, it says, go therefore. But understanding is therefore, go. Or as you are going. Is that okay, Pastor Mike? Okay, as you are going, how many is going? Seems like people are coming and going all the time, don't they? Everywhere. How many just sits at home all week and you just showed up today? I bet you've been somewhere this week. I bet you've been, well, I can tell you, from the traffic, somebody's been somewhere this week. You've been to Walmart, you've been to Food Line, you've been to Lowe's, you've been to Publix, you've been to... Um, Hobby Lobby. You've been to Ross's this week. You've been somewhere. You've been to work. You've been to school. You've been hanging out with your friends. You've been to the ball game. You've been somewhere this week. So he says, listen, as you are going, because I know you, you're going to travel. You're going to go somewhere. So he says, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Now, he doesn't say make disciples just in your neighborhood. I used to have a missions pastor that 
and he may be watching this morning, but he gave me this phrase. He said, we're taking the gospel across the street and around the world. That's our call. Make disciples. Now, I know in our minds, sometimes we think that it's just make new believers, isn't it? Hey, that's great. That's part of discipling because you've got to make pupils is what the word is meaning. Make followers. But that's not all there is. We, I know Billy Graham had once said, I wish if there was something that I could have done differently, it would not only just make believers, but also make disciples. See, the rest of the story sometimes is we want to do what, and I'm not bad-mouthing this at all because I loved it. Absolutely. A few years ago, many years ago, I guess it was, that um, we had vacation Bible school. We always had a couple hundred kids and adults show up for vacation Bible school. And there was always, it originally when I was, I started to say younger, but I'm not sure that's the point. But anyway, it always had Thursday night, the pastor would share the story or somebody would share the gospel to all that had come that week. There was a night to do that. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of kids come, but what about the other nights and the kids that didn't come just on Thursday night to hear the gospel? Well, later on, the Southern Baptist Convention, from what I can gather, said, hey, there's a different way. How many remembers the ABCs of salvation? Right? So what we were trying to do was teach the teachers to be able to share the gospel all during the week. It gave them something. I need things that are simple. I know, Christy, I'm trying to be still. I have to be still. I can't. She said I can't run. Someone tried to keep it calm this morning. No Baptist stuff. But anyway, we learned the ABCs and the acrostics made it an easy way for us to, to remember it because I needed things that would help me to remember it. And the first one was admit. How many remembers the A? Admit. Okay, I'm going to give you a little what they had to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23 tells us that, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hey, well, you need to admit that. You know, I'm, I'm a Southerner and proud to be there. And you know what? I, I looked up, uh, Brother Michael, I'm picking on him this morning. I looked up in detail what that word all meant in the Southern Dictionary of Grammatical Grammar. Okay, that's, that sounded really intelligent. Really not, but it sounded that way. You know what it meant? In the Southern, every last one of you. Every last one of us. All that have been born into this world, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God without missing one. We're all in this sinking ship together. Every last one, and we need to admit that because I can sit down with you in a few minutes and we read some of the scripture, not in my opinion, because a lot of the opinion is, day, what's wrong for you may not be wrong for you and what's right for you may not be right for you, but I want to tell you, God said every last one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible also makes it clear the wages or the payment for that sin is what? death. It's not talking about just dying in this physical way. The scripture also talks about a second death. 
That's to be separated from a God who loves you, provided salvation for you, separated you for all eternity. That's the real one. The physical death is nothing compared to that one. But he also says in that phrase, I mean in that verse 623, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the A on that, and we're going to follow along and learn some of the ABCs this morning, and that's not where we're going to focus at. But I hope and pray if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior this morning, the ABCs would catch your attention. So not only are we to admit that we are a sinner, it says we are to believe. To believe that God sent Jesus to pay for our sin debt on the cross, was buried, rose again, and then what happened? He lives today. Don't we sing that at Easter? He lives, he lives. I'm not going to sing, but you know, we sing that. You know why? Not because it's a cute ditty for us to sing. It's because he's alive. All those others that they claim to be God are dead. They're absolutely dead. They may have raised them up and made them in a certain position when they were alive, but they have all died. And guess what? When they died, they stayed dead. They're worshiping dead folks. We are worshiping the living Christ. And we are to believe in him. In Romans uh, in John 3.16, I think, is, is probably the, what we call it, the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, you can put your name there as we taught in Bible school, whoever would believe in him would not perish. Remember we talked about that Wednesday? That word perish? Go back and look at Wednesday if you want to see what that, we talked about that was. Will not perish but will have everlasting life. That's what John 3.16 says. And he goes on in Romans and tells some more. And I love one of my favorite verses in all the world is, is uh, Romans 5.8. It says, Wayne, while you were still in your sin, I died for you. That's my translation of it, but that's what it means. Even while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for you. He paid that price on the cross. He allowed himself to be buried but God rose him from the dead and he lives today. And guess what? We have that same promise to believe that. You know what another saying? And you'll see some of my isms that I say. When you talk about believe, I remember a pastor some years ago that was on a television program. And they asked him, he's one of the, lar- one of the pastors of one of the largest churches in the United States. And they asked him, well, basically this. Is Jesus the only way of salvation? And he basically responded, well, not really, but he's the best way. I want to confess for you this morning, if you're here in person or if you're listening here or if you're across the ocean, Jesus is the only means of salvation. He's it. That's it. So this phrase in understanding of believe is meaning, how many knows this phrase? Putting all your eggs in that basket. I'm going to put all my, hey, I'm going to put all my money in that one roll right there. Just, I'm going to put it all in one place. I'm going to invest my whole life just in Jesus. I'm not depending on anybody else. I'm not going to commit to any other religion. I'm going to put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. That's what it means to believe. And then there was another word we had. See, there's A, 
young people, you're listening with me if you're here, and I'm supposed to have, we had a house full of boys last night that stayed over, and praise God, we had church this morning that I could leave them. No, Pastor Mike said a good thing, they were here, but they should be watching this morning, but they should help me. A is admit, B is believe, C, right, Miss Charlie? C comes after B. What would we think about if we admit, believe, and what else are we to do? Confess. Confess. Now, what is what is that? What do you usually think of when you hear the word confess? Verbal, don't we? It's not just in our mind, but to confess our sins to God and to profess Jesus as my what? Savior. I mean, we can go look at Romans 10, 9, and 10, but if we look at all these scriptures this morning, we'll never get through, and Pastor Bob will never let me bring, come up here again. I think the bottom, fall, the bottom falls out at a certain time, the trap door. We are to confess our sins, to tell God, yes, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord knows that I'm a sinner, and I believe you paid the price for my sin. I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe they buried you in a tomb. I believe, Christ, you rose from the dead. And I believe you said you've gone back to heaven to prepare a place for me. And where you go, somebody asked one time, Pastor, where is heaven? And I got this phrase. I didn't coin this. As a uh, professor back in Southeastern Seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary, back in the 60s, said this with tears. Guys, I'd love to be able to tell you exactly where heaven's at. We talk about him splitting the eastern sky, and we always think of heaven being up there. But I can tell you this. I don't, might, might not know the exact location, but I can tell you wherever Jesus is, that's where heaven is. You don't forget that. We think about the, going to see family and loved ones and, and streets of gold and that big, huge apartment complex in the air, in the air that we're going to, or in the, in the heavens where we're going to stay together and live next door to one another. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter where that location is. As long as Jesus is there, it's heaven. That's what I think. I mean, that might not be theologically correct, but it's, it's, it's good to me. So we need to confess and ask God to save us for all of his sacrifice on the cross. But I want to just offer something else this morning. We learned the ABCs, I'm sorry, I pace. We learned the ABCs of salvation in vacation Bible school, and we left it there. And then, you know, that was exciting. I was excited about teaching that because it went from just a Thursday night to the teachers could share it, and we went on from there. But I felt like we missed the rest of the story. And so back then, I did a track. I know it's world famous now. It's probably, I don't know, 18 or 20 copies. No, we actually took it on some mission trips and used it. I had translated in Spanish for some. But I thought there was more there based on, you know, I didn't come up with any original thought. All I did was go to Scripture and whatever Scripture said, I, I'm just crazy enough to believe what he said. That's what it meant. I believe he's got a better way of doing things than anything that man has ever comprehended ever come up with. So I, I went from there. I said, well, if we can go with A, B, and C, can't we have another C? Now, I know it's not really in there, but we can tie on to that C, admit, believe, commit, confess, and commit. Now, I have met many of you, 
and you've met me. I like what Phyllis has a sign on her office. You don't have to be crazy to work here. We'll train you. I was saying some of us need to be committed, right? I'm not sure what that is, but, you know, there. But, no, here's what I, what, here's what I saw was missing and lacking in that. Not to, not to denigrate anything that was done, because I, mean, I, I really enjoy, admit, believe, confess, but I think we ought to commit. And what do we commit to? I mean, we commit salvation, and there we go. Hey, pat them on the back and let them rip. I mean, just what was my professor used to say, preaching professor? Let her rip tater chip. I mean, just, you know, lead them to Christ and let them go. That's how we'll grow the church. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, know anything about the church, and have listened to anything about the Great Commission, that was only a small part of it. We miss out on the meat of it, the hard work of it, the lifetime of it. I've got a sermon I've preached one time, I think, Phyllis, uh, uh, all the Scripture in one message. And I preached that from Genesis to the Revolution, all the way through in one message. Basically, it's, it's like um, our puzzle makers here. Your mom, sweet lady, you always see your puzzles in there. Now, I don't know how she does it, but I can tell you how I do it. When I dump out a puzzle, I always find the flat-sided ones first. They're easier. I always put the outside rims together, and then I work the inside. It you know, and then work from that. How many does it that way? I know some of you just take, we start right in the middle. We just find all them pieces. And put them. I just look at the outside. The flat ones are the easiest one. Let's get them out of the way. And I'm not denigrating the salvation message, but I want to tell you, that's the way my life was. I came and understood some simple truths of Scripture, and I put the outside pieces of the puzzle of the gospel, in the, not of the gospel, but of Scripture together, and I'm spending the rest of my life putting all the intricate things in the middle. Things will fit together. Some of the things that, Ms. Collins, some, some things didn't fit together when I was a believer two or three years. In fact, I've still got pieces of the puzzle I'm still working on. I'm still putting those together. So we still at sea, we ought to be through by two. Okay, we're still at sea, and we've got to get to H. Here's where we're at. Commit. Here's the commit. Here's my invitation today, and I'm not stopping yet, but you remember this. We're committing to a life of discipleship. You with me? Didn't he say make disciples? We should be committing our lives to discipleship. He tells us there, and I'm not saying this is an exhaustive way of what we commit to. There's so many things in Scripture that we are to commit our lives to, and I'm just going to give you a few this morning, and that's a good start for us. But the key point I want to make in all this this morning is not only uh, come to salvation in Christ, and I pray whether you're here or you're listening live stream this morning, before this day has made history, if you're not sure how to do that, that's fine. I'll be up front. I'm sure we have others to come this morning. If you don't know, hey, find out a way to call this church office. You can look it up online. Find someone to talk to today. Another believer, ask them. Call me at home. Run by the house. You know, find us somewhere that you might know to come to Christ. But I want to tell you, when you're making that confession, you're also making a commitment. 
Now that's what I'm going to give the invitation this morning for because I'm not sure we all understood that when we confess Christ as Lord and Savior at the same time, the same side of that coin is a confession and a commitment. You're committing yourself to discipleship. In other words, you're committing yourself to a lifetime class. Now I know we're starting the D4 classes, and I think, what, 34 weeks? 34 weeks. That's not long. I heard someone say this week, a day is long, a lifetime is short. That'll give you something to think about this afternoon, especially when you're dealing with your children. A day is long, but a lifetime is short. I want to tell you, coming to faith in Christ might seem like a short thing, but discipleship is a lifetime commitment. You've not arrived yet. We say it, we just don't act like it. We are committing ourselves to a lifetime of discipleship. I'm still growing. You're still growing. Admit it or not, I don't care who you are. I used to travel, and I say travel. In other words, every time we had an evangelism conference or we went to some training somewhere, I had a set of twins that were 80 years old. And they were serious about going. You say, well, they didn't have anything else. To do. Well, both of them still worked. They had grown up in the church in Binghamton, New York. But they always had that mindset, pastor, there's already always something else for me to glean in my life. Man, it set a standard for me. Well, if they've not arrived, then surely I've not arrived yet. So we commit ourselves to a lifetime of discipleship. Now, what is that? Well, to be a pupil of the word, to be a follower of Christ, basically to try to emulate all things Christ. Well, how do we do that? Look at Christ. You know you're going to have to do it through reading his word. We know we're going to have to do it through praying. We know we're going to have to do that through gathering together and be taught, all those things. But I'm going to give you a few other things this morning because it, just because it fits in my acrostic. Because I've learned my ABCs. Admit, believe, confess, commit to discipleship. And what would that mean? E, what would you think E would be? Think real hard. No smoke. Think real hard. How about evangelism? What is evangelism? You might know what evangelism is. That's a big word. It sounds big, doesn't it, guys? That means just sharing Christ. How will they know if we don't have somebody to tell them the Bible says? Evangelism, sharing Christ, sharing your testimony. That's sharing Christ. Listen, I don't know what all the things about the intricacies of of uh, Christendom, but I can tell you what Christ has done in my life. First person, Phyllis knows this story. Some of you may know this story, but I like it. The first person I ever led to Christ, I did not have a clue. When I say I didn't have a clue, after I got saved, I for the first time looked on a Monday night football, and I saw somebody with a sign that said John 3.16, and I had heard it in my salvation message that someone shared with me. I said, now that's what it means. So when I say I didn't have a clue, I didn't have a clue. But I knew Christ had done something in my life, and I began to share it with a guy, and he made a profession of faith. I don't know if it was true or not. We don't know. Sometimes people can put on an act, but I want to tell you, God knows whether it was sincere or not. It doesn't mean you've got to be elaborate in it. Sometimes it's calm and cool and collecting, and sometimes it's not. 
But he had been listening to what I'd said, what I was saying and what Christ had done in my life. And I sat down in my front car right outside the place that I was working. And I led Dita Franz Kubazine to Christ. We called him Dieter for short. Or Dino. Now you know why. He was a Russian Jew. Excuse me, a German Jew. His father was a German. His mother was a Jew. And they had to escape because of the Holocaust. He hated his mom. He hated his dad because he had to come here. He'd been married three times. The last time he had married a prostitute, she took all the money he had and left. He hated the world. And I couldn't share the gospel with him other than John 3.16. And here's what God did for me. Evangelism. We're to share. I've always said, somebody said, well, you're a pastor. I heard one of the boys this morning, you're, you're a preacher. Well, I used to tell a joke, but I didn't want to interfere with what he was saying. I said, really, I've never felt like a preacher. I've always felt like a satisfied customer that didn't mind sharing. That's what we ought to be, just satisfied. Some of them said, well, let me share you about Christ and what he's done in my life. I mean, there's solemn times, folks, but it's a sin to, be, to make the gospel boring. I really believe it's a sin. Evangelism. What's another one? This is one I like. Fellowship. Fellowship. That's part of discipling. It says not forsaking the selves, uh, a manner of some that don't get. I have gotten all crossed over here. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, not us, is. Now I'll give you another southern understanding for that word. You know what that means? Go to church. It doesn't mean go to a building. It means go and be with other believers. Spend time with them. Hey, we encourage one another. We provide accountability for one another. We need fellowship. Now, I know it's not listed in the spiritual gifts, but I have the gift of hanging out. How many have that spiritual gift? I've met some of you. Some of you sit and talk for hours. And we'll sit and smile. See, that's helps. That's the gift of helps right there. You're helping them. And they've got the gift of hanging out. I want to tell you, I've grown so much in fellowship over the years. I was one of those little weird kids that when my grandparents and older adults sat there, I know back in some times they would all go play. That's mostly because the kids were fidgety and not paying attention to everything. But I stayed quiet and besides... I had a granny. Nobody contradicted granny. Granny said Wayne could stay, so Wayne could stay. So I sat there right beside granny, and I listened to these older adults, these senior adults, and great wisdom they did have. You know what? We don't just say that in the past tense either. When we're talking about families, and Phyllis and I are speaking to families, I want to tell you one of the greatest sources that we have of intellect, of wisdom, of anything else. No, they may not know the latest trends of the day. No, they may still be wearing uh, flip-flops and high white socks. And they Well, let's don't get into that. But nevertheless, they have great wisdom. Not only they have a lot more experience than we have, but they have learned some stuff over the years. I want to tell you, if you get a chance to sit down with your grandmother, grandfather, kids, I want, to, I want to tell you, that's one of the greatest places you can be taught. I know schools are great, and I'm pro-education, but I think one of the greatest places of education is sitting around our senior adults and listening. They said, well, they talk about stuff. That, 
let me tell you this. They said, even a cow. You hear me? Cows are not really that intelligent, from what I understand. Now, I don't want to offend any cows here this morning. If they're listening online, I don't want to offend them. But they said, even a cow knows when to chew the grass and spit out a cucklebur. Sandspur for you who lives at the beach. So listen, yes, you might sit down with them and you may not be able to glean everything they're talking about, but they ought to have enough sense that there's some wisdom there that you can take and glean from it and grow from it. And if they're talking about something that does not affect you anymore because it has ceased, it's like phones that had a tail. Remember that? Some of you are going to catch on in a minute. And, it, and it, it started off that long and it ended up like four football fields long. They may be talking about that and you're going one ringy-dingy, two ringy-dingy, all that stuff. You don't get it, but that's fine. Listen to the other wisdom they have. Spend time in fellowship and there's another one. Now, I know I'm going to leave from preaching here and go to meddling. Okay? You with me? Giving. You know, we often said, I thought, wasn't it St. Augustine, some of you history buffs that you know, when he went to war, he saw that he was going to win the war by the sign of the cross, so he had all his soldiers baptized, but they held their sword hand out. They baptized everything but the sword hand because that sword hand was going to take a life. I believe some of you Baptists, when you were baptized, held out your wallet hand. No giving. No giving here. That's the thing. I gave it the office. Listen, I don't care if you gave it the office or not. God's house is a place to give. His ministry is a great place to invest. And when you talk about the tithe, we can preach on that for hours. When you talk about the tithe, that's a good place to start. Well, 10%. Well, 10% is a good place to start. What else are you going to do with your money? Leave it to somebody else that's going to go through it in 10 days? You spend a lifetime for it? Listen, giving. Okay, let's just stop there. Not only of our treasure, because when we say giving, isn't that the first thing that pops up? Boy, my treasury, all $18.34 of it. But it's not only about your treasury. We ought to be able to give our time. I know everybody. We, we live in a busy society. But they often say if you want to get something done, find somebody that's busy. I'm serious. Because they'll get it done. Because they're already busy, they'll just keep right on trucking. I can't do it, Pastor. I can't do it if I can't get no help. Because you know gun smoke comes on at that time. And then, you know they don't make repeats of that stuff. You're giving of your time. Giving of your treasury, I want to tell you, I bet every person in here is talented in some way or another. And from what Pastor Michael says last week, Pastor Michael, you may not want to sit up front next week or next time I preach because I'll just see you. But he says that when you're saved, you get a spiritual gift. I said one of mine's hanging out. It's not scriptural, but that's mine. You have a spiritual gift. God has infused you with a spiritual gift that needs that needs work, that needs some honing in, that needs some practice. But until you, you might not even know your spiritual gift until you get out there and get busy and find out, hey, that's it. You may have thought your spiritual gift was working in the nursery with small kids because they're so, they're so cute and cuddly and they smell like baby powder and it's so wonderful. And I think my spiritual gift is working with little children and you kept the nursery two Sundays and you find out that's not it. That's absolutely not it. But to get in there and get busy, 
That's part of discipleship, evangelism, fellowship, giving of your time, talent, and treasury. Those are just part of your discipleship. And here's another thing I want to leave you with before we head out of here, and I'm going to give an invitation so that you can commit yourself today, hopefully, whether it's in the pew or around this altar somewhere or up here, I want to commit myself to discipleship. Here's something else, and I want you to get that. Discipleship is not meant just to happen. It's just an incidental thing. It's just going to, you know, if I come to church, it's just going to happen. Well, some of it. It's like getting a, a public education. You know, you can get an education and you don't have to go to school. But the old saying is, well, what kind of education are you going to get? Oh, I've learned some things, and I want to tell you, I work with a guy that's got an eighth grade education, has great common sense, does his stuff, love him to death. But one thing that he says regularly is, I wish I had gone further in school. He's got an education in things and can do something, but he's also limited. And it's taken him a lifetime to learn more things, and he still struggles with reading and writing some of our basic things. He wishes that he had been more, and here's the key word, intentional in his education. I want to tell you, I believe the D4 will work. I am wholeheartedly supportive of it, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer and because I believe what the Great Commission said, and I believe Jesus said we ought to be intentional because he said we are to make disciples. That's an intentional word. We are to make disciples. How? Just of your church? No, we have a responsibility. It says not only to church, but to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Let's go back to baptizing. That's one of the first steps to me in obedience to Christ and in being a pupil or a follower of Christ. I think it's a step of obedience in baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's another word. Teaching them. How are you going to teach them if they don't show up? I bet you school teachers in here said, you know, I would love to teach them. I believe they would be better, but they don't show up. How are you going to teach them if they don't show up? And then they get to the end of the semester and can't believe they got a D or an E or F or a G or an H. I don't know what it is now. But they can't believe. Mom and Daddy can't believe. Say, listen, I wanted to teach them, but they didn't show up. We've got to be intentional in our discipleship. Hey, present yourself. Sign up for a D4 class. Sign up for whatever you can that would, and I'm just not saying that's going to take place of everything that you need to be doing. You need to be reading. You need to be praying. You need to be giving. You need to be doing those things. But at the same time, anything that's available to you, any class that's available to you that you can work out, you need to be there. So we've got to that part, and I don't want to leave you here. But H, what would you think H would be? Help, happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Church is just happy, isn't it? We're a church of the happy clappies. That's it. We just clap and have fun, and then we go out, and we're the same tomorrow as we were the next, the day before, and we've left Sunday and the happy clappy all behind. I said some were born again and some were born against, and I see them all the time. Say, I'm a believer, but I'm against everything. Well, I understand sometimes there are things we don't like. I don't even like me sometimes. 
I was waiting for the amen from my wife. It's heaven. It's heaven. H is heaven. Admit, believe, confess, commit yourself to a life of discipleship, of evangelism, of fellowship, of giving, with heaven always in sight. Heaven's got to be our focus, folks. If not, what else? When we come to faith in Christ, woo, there it went, woo, there she went. There's no reason for you to be left here. But we're always focused on heaven. I've got loved ones in heaven. I don't forget. That's heaven. I can't imagine what heaven's going to be like. I've read the book of the Revelation where it talks about what heaven's going to look like and be like and all those things. And you think about your family and your loved ones and tears begin to flow about them. But I want to tell you this in all truth and honesty. For me. No, I'm not super spiritual. Oh, Lord, I'm like Paul. Things I don't want to do seems like the things I do. And the things I, I do seems like why you shouldn't be doing them. But heaven to me is not walking by faith anymore. It's walking by sight. Everything in discipleship, always, not only am I growing, but I've always got, who was it that used to sing that? King Squire Parsons was with, a, with me several years ago in revival. How many know Squire Parsons? Boy, Beulah Land is just in sight. You ever heard that song? Squire Parsons wrote that and sung that song. Squire Parsons would sing in that song, Canaan land is just in sight. That's us. No matter how we live our lives during the day and we're discipled, always keep a focus on heaven because that's our destination. Not only is that our destination, that's where we're going to give an account of how we discipled, how we were as followers or pupils of Jesus Christ. And I have come to understand Sometimes I'm not the best people. Sometimes I don't show up. Sometimes I don't have my focus. Sometimes I don't have my mind on the work. Sometimes I don't do my homework, Miss Jolly. Sometimes I just don't. God forgive me, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to keep right on with all that's in me to keep fighting the good fight. Of discipleship. How many likes NASCAR? Oh, we got one brave soul back there likes NASCAR. Now, I've been a NASCAR fan since, not so much anymore, but I watch them. But since David Pearson back in the early 70s, somebody may know that. And I know you all think I'm 103, but I'm really only 34. But anyway, back in the early 70s, I, you know, I loved David Pearson and got to see Richard Petty, and got to see the cars up close. Now, how many knows what NASCAR actually stands for? National Association of Stock, Car, Auto, Racing. How many looks on the TV if you happen to see them running around in a circle? And sometimes they'll do this on some tracks. But how many looking at those cars running around said, boy, that's the one I saw down there at Chevrolet Place. Well, the title will hook you right up. Oh, that's the one I saw over there, that car lot. How many have seen those things? They don't look stock at all, do they? They don't look normal, regular, but they're supposed to be. But you go out there and you look at one of those things and they got fake headlights and all that, but I want to tell you, 
behind all that metal, well-sculptured metal, is a meticulous piece of equipment. I mean, they have done everything they can do. I, I'm going to use a big word. Nobody else knows it. The dyno that they put that thing on. They have tuned that thing and fired it up to get every inch they can out of that engine. They've got that thing ready. I mean, even it's so important how much air is in each tire. That's how meticulous it is. I mean, every little thing, every little structure. And it doesn't quit with that. You know, if you've seen the race car drivers, remember seeing the commercial not long ago when that little girl tells that driver, said, hey, Denny Hamlin, great PJs. I like them. It's a fire suit. It's to protect them when they get in there. They got that fire suit on and sometimes the bottom of that car gets so hot, they got special shoes and socks on. They've got helmets on that are specially made. Used to, they didn't have much of anything on, but they've seen the dangers in it and they put that helmet on and boy, they look like a commander getting ready to get in a space shuttle and then they climb through the window. I've never figured that out. Open the door. To be sure they can make lots. I mean, they've got everything else that's so safe. Open the door. I couldn't race because I couldn't get through the window. You notice they're all skinny folks anyway. I think we ought to do something, Brother Woody. I think they're discriminating. But anyway, they have that fire suit on. They put that helmet on. They sit down in there and they strap in that special uh, seat belt they got on there. And they got a Hans device to keep their head. And, you know, that's probably what killed Dale Earnhardt. God rest his soul. And... Um, they, they got all this stuff in there, and they get there, and meticulous equipment, it's all fine-tuned. Man, it's awesome. It can do just, I mean, it can do amazing things, run so fast. They get all dressed up. They slide in that car, and they see the telemetry, the, the scales of everything up there. It tells them everything like a space shuttle that they're going to have, and they are ready to go, and there's absolutely no steering wheel. That's all dressed up, no place to go, ain't it? They can have all the intricacies of everything they need to make that thing fire up and to head down that, that track there at just record-breaking speeds, but they don't have a steering wheel. Hey, what I understand, they can still flip the switch and get it to fire up. What I understand is they still can mash the brake, they still can mash the gas, they just don't know where that thing's going to end up. It's liable to end up in one of them walls. It could be running over somebody. It could be destroying somebody else's life. I want to tell you, that's no different discipleship. We have all that we need. Man, we have programs, 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 programs. Man, we've got some great programs. Some great minds designed some great programs. When in fact, one of the best programs we've got is simple discipleship. But we've got to put the steering wheel on so I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're here this morning, sitting in this place, or you're live streaming, you're sitting in your living room or in your car or wherever, wherever it might be, you said, that's what's missing in my life. Somebody asked me one time, I said, Pastor, I feel like I've been a Christian for so long and I'm not growing. I said, are you intentional, intentionally trying to seek to be a disciple? Who are you hanging out with? See, that's my word. Who are you hanging out with? I had men. That would say, Wayne, here's some great stuff here. Wayne, Wayne, that's not a good thing. I had some men that had the guts to do that and would do their best to instruct me. And guess what? They tell me that they grew too. 
So now it's not just about the Pauls we're going to teach you. It's not about that. You find you some more spiritual men around you, guess what? You'll grow. Because hopefully they'll be teaching you and you'll be helping them. How many has ever tried to raise a child? How many times did you get an education? How many still get an education? I said we'd figure it out. I said this when my kids were young. I'll have this thing figured out after grown and gone. And that's about the truth. And that's the same thing with the Paul and the Timothy. It's not about a Paul or a Timothy. It's about us coming together and growing together in Christ and committing ourselves to discipleship. And guess what kind of church we'll have. Because if you commit yourself to discipleship, guess what will happen? You'll learn that you were supposed to commit yourself to the church. I'm not talking about this building or that building. I'm talking about to the body of believers. And you had a firm commitment. So I'm going to pray right now. But I want you as we pray. Simple prayer. I want you to commit yourself. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning. You don't have that assurance. Somebody told me one time. Pastor I'm so saved I could swing over hell on a rotten grapevine. I want you to have that assurance this morning. But if you've never really committed yourself to discipleship you've never verbally said those words I want you to do it this morning now granted I like for people to move I think it does something for me but I understand the circumstances and situation we're living in I've got a mask somewhere right here I'm going to stick on if you want to come with me if you want to come find yourself around the altar up the side wherever you want to do it now or after service or you want to make your, your seat wherever you're at that pew you can, you, you can make that place a praying place and say, God, I've never verbally said, but I want to be a disciple. I want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to do that this morning before you leave this place. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you've allowed us to have this time together. And Father, we won't prolong the people's time nor your patience. So I pray this morning, Lord, if you're speaking to hearts, that they respond, not wait to see who else is responding, not deciding if they're going to respond, but listening to the Holy Spirit of God, tugging their heart and asking them to respond. Lord, they need to move immediately. Not 15 or 20 minutes. We're not going to prolong it. We're going to give them an opportunity, God, and it's on them. So, Lord, I pray right now you're speaking to hearts. The Holy Spirit is moving. Lord, as soon as I say amen, that if they need to move, if they need to move, that's on them. They may be making their chair wherever they sit, their pulpit, I mean, their, their praying place this morning. That's fine. But I pray decisions will be made. In Jesus' name.